Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Goh. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Today we have a lot to cover and it was an eventful week for the Brewers, even if it may not have been eventful for the reasons that we might have hoped. Of course, the Brewers not playing in that Cardinals series, number of Cardinals coming down with positive tests for COVID-19. And so we will discuss some of that among other news on the Brewers transaction front. And I'm really excited for another episode. Thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, just a reminder to check out our website, bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com. Be on the lookout there. I will have an article of some early takeaways we've seen from the number of games that the Brewers have had, even if it is a small sample. No, I will not overreact to Christian Yelich's struggles, but we will discuss some things that maybe can be legitimate takeaways, like guys in the bullpen who maybe have seen improvements, whether it be velocity, spin rates, certain things like that. And so be sure to look out for that. That should be coming out at some point this week. And let's get started. Over the past week, we've seen a number of news items for the Brewers. Of course, Lorenzo Kane being the headliner there as he opted out of the season. But actually, the first piece of news that we will discuss before the number of transactions that the Brewers made has to do with Pat Murphy, the Brewers bench coach, who actually suffered a heart attack on Friday. Of course, quite a serious event happening during the Brewers practice. Thankfully, he was near Brewers athletic trainers, so he was able to be tended to immediately and ultimately transported to the hospital. The most recent update is that Murphy is resting at home. He's recovering and he has been doing quite well actually over the past couple days considering he just suffered a major health scare a few days ago. So thankfully, Pat Murphy is on the road to recovery. He may not be back with the Brewers for the rest of the year, but of course that is really of secondary importance at this point. And we wish the best for Pat Murphy's recovery. Our thoughts and prayers are certainly with him. Pat Murphy suffering a heart attack again. And so we hope that Pat Murphy is doing well at home. The second bit of news, Mike Morin claimed off waivers by Miami. This occurred early last week. And the Miami Marlins suffering from the coronavirus more than any other team really. And so they actually were out all of last week, I believe, combined between players and staff members. Almost 20 people tested positive for COVID-19. And so the Marlins are and were at the time, especially in need of some replacement players. They claimed, traded, or signed, I think, five or six players in the, in the week that they were out. And so hopefully the Marlins are able to have adequate replacements for many of their spots in the bullpen or around the diamond, considering that some have tested positive and even I think one or two have opted out. I know Isan Diaz opted out, former Brewers prospect who was acquired by Miami in that Christian Yelich trade in 2018. So Mike Morin claimed off waivers. He actually did not appear in any games with the Brewers, even though he did crack the opening day roster. Jacob Nottingham also was recalled from the alternate training site. He actually has since been optioned, though. This coming last week during the Pirates series, he was optioned since Pena's finger healed. Pena had a minor finger injury he was dealing with during that Pittsburgh series. Not exactly sure what the issue was there, but they called up Nottingham for some 
some emergency help if Narvaez were to get injured, as Pena would not have been able to back him up there. And so Jacob Nottingham came up for a few days. I think he was only up for a game, actually. And then this weekend where the Brewers didn't play any games. And then he was optioned back down to the alternate training site. Bobby Wall was optioned earlier in the week to make room for Nottingham originally. So Bobby Wall is at the alternate training site right now. He had a couple of outings with the Brewers, did not go very well. And so I'm sure we'll see him back at some point. He's got a good arm, good fastball and curveball combination. So Bobby Wall optioned to the alternate training site. Ryan Healy and Mark Mathias were recalled from the alternate training site as corresponding moves. Ryan Healy actually got the start as the leadoff hitter in DH against the White Sox yesterday. He popped out on a, on a first pitch in his only at bat. Carlos Rodon was the starter for the White Sox, left-handed pitcher, so Healy started against the lefty, being a right-handed hitter who hits lefties particularly well. However, Rodon only pitched a couple of innings. Logan Morrison pinch hit for Healy and ended up finishing the game there at DH. Ryan Healy, though, is still with the big league ball club and could be an option at either first base, third base, or DH in light of the absence of Ryan Braun, and we'll talk about Braun in, in just a bit. Mark Mathias, a super utility guy. Mathias comes up. He was actually acquired by Cleveland, excuse me, acquired from Cleveland back in the offseason. Feels like a long time ago, but a minor minor trade that they made in advance of the Rule 5 draft. And so Mark Mathias ended up being called up just a couple days ago, and he will be making his major league debut whenever he does appear in a game for the Brewers having not appeared in the majors with Cleveland yet. And so Mark Mathias and Ryan Healy called up before the game yesterday against the White Sox. Brett Anderson was activated from the injured list as well. He will be making, excuse me, he made his first start yesterday and he went three innings, two runs on a, a pitch count limit. So he did only pitch three innings, I think around 55 pitches. He was actually okay, even though he did allow two runs, he allowed four infield hits and a double. And so mostly the White Sox getting the timely hits, not necessarily hitting the ball well. His his two-seamer and his changeup both looked good, spotting them on the outside corner down and away. Pretty effective there and getting some weak contact from the White Sox, an offense that really likes to swing the bat a lot and put the ball in play. And they, they were able to get on base and... They were able to create some havoc on the base pals, ultimately leading to a couple of runs and ultimately winning the game 6-4. So Brett Anderson is back from the injured list. Ryan Braun was placed on the injured list with an inf infected right index finger. And this seemed like a little bit of a, a paper move where Braun maybe wasn't actually injured. That's kind of what I thought originally. Braun seemed a little bit hesitant at the start of the season on whether or not the protocols went to the full measures that they should in protecting the player's safety from the COVID-19 situation. So it seemed like Braun was maybe a candidate to opt out of the year. And it seemed like maybe the Brewers were placing him on the injured list to buy time for him to make a decision. How the rule works is by August 1st, which the deadline now has passed. Once you opt out, you're done for the year. So Lorenzo Cain, Shelby Miller are guys who cannot come back this year. Even if they decide that they want to change their mind, it is too late. And so maybe Ryan Braun was doing that. However, we did find out more information from Brewers beat writer Adam McKelvey just a little bit later that Ryan Braun was in fact placed on the injured list with an actual right infected index finger. And that finger actually caused him to go to the hospital, had to have 
a small emergency procedure in case something was going wrong. And so Ryan Braun is okay. He was taking ground balls before yesterday's game but a minor scare with the right index finger there. And Ryan Braun is okay, but he is still on the injured list and will be for at least 10 days. Of course, we don't know exactly when he'll be back. Brewers did not give a timetable for his return, but I wouldn't imagine that it'd be in too long, especially considering he was already working out on the field yesterday. Shelby Miller also opted out of the year, being the second one. We'll talk about Kane in just a moment, but Shelby Miller will not be pitching this, the rest of the year either at the alternate training site in Appleton or at Miller Park for the Brewers. Shelby Miller was an arm who was seen more as depth, but could have gotten an opportunity with the Brewers for the year, especially with the number of arms that have been ineffective out of the bullpen so far. But it will be interesting to see this offseason. Shelby Miller spent some time last year at the Brewers Pitching Lab in Arizona. Seemed like he built a relationship with the Brewers organization, was brought back on a minor league deal, and actually looked pretty good in spring training and in summer camp. And so it's possible we'll see Shelby Miller come back once again this offseason on a minor league deal. Of course, we, we don't know that we'll have, we'll, the offseason may come in two weeks, the offseason may come in three months. Nobody really knows, and that's kind of the last thing that's on everybody's mind. But Shelby Miller will not be pitching for the rest of 2020, and Lorenzo Cain will not be playing either. And now Lorenzo Cain opting out, of course, is a much bigger move than Shelby Miller opting out. Lorenzo Cain being the spark plug, especially on the defensive side of things. Cain being the gold glove recipient in the National League center field category last year and really having an impact with the bat this year. Last year, he has had a down year offensively, but was really an MVP candidate two years ago. And so Lorenzo Cain is really going to be missed in that lineup. I think many players, coaches, and fans are understanding he has three kids at home. He ultimately decided that being at home with his kids and being safe from the situation going on right now was more important than playing baseball. And that's certainly understandable from Lorenzo Cain. And so Cain will not be playing this year, but he certainly will be missed both in the clubhouse. The players were saying that they'll miss his leadership both on and off the field. Of course, the Brewers will miss his production on the field and us as fans will miss seeing him play on the field with his exciting style of play and his his tremendous skills as well. And so that also leaves a hole in center field then for the Brewers. So who will take Lorenzo Cain's spot as the primary center fielder? Ryan Braun as well being the primary designated hitter entering the year was placed on the injured list. So two big holes that were formed over the weekend. The Cardinals, of course, being unable to play in the series because of the COVID-19 outbreak among their team. But Braun and Kane being the two main guys that, that were ultimately headliners in the news for the Brewers. And so who will they be replaced by? Well, Christian Yelich already in left field entrenched there. Seems like Yelich will stay in left field. He was able to collect a couple of hits last night and looked a little bit better at the plate for sure. And so I think Yelich is, is getting back into the swing of things. I don't think any Brewer fan was really extremely concerned by Yelich's slow start, but he seems like he's locked in in left field. And then the other outfielders that the Brewers have on the roster right now are Avisail Garcia and Ben Gamble. Avisail Garcia actually has been the Brewers' best contributor based on Fangraph's wins above replacement this year. He had three RBIs last night with the RBI double and the clutch two-run single. Garcia is a guy who's in his first year with the club and overall is a pretty well-balanced skill set. He's got decent hit tool in that he can hit for contact and he can hit for some power. 
He also has a pretty good arm and, and is fairly mobile considering that he does weigh 250 pounds. He does not look like a guy who would be very quick and nimble, but he is actually quite athletic for his size. Garcia is capable of handling center field. He actually did get the start in center last night against the White Sox, and it ended up going okay. There was a play earlier in the game that was a little flare between second base and center field that did drop, and in that moment, you kind of you miss Kane. You you realize how, how lucky we are to see Kane in the outfield every day. And and so Garcia is a guy who could fill in capably in center field. We don't know if that will be the route that the Brewers choose to go to. But either way, he will still be starting every day with the Brewers. And that signing is really looking more and more promising, more and more needed, considering that Braun is out for a short period of time and Kane is out for the whole season. And so Garcia will be there in the lineup every day, whether it is in center or right. And the other option the Brewers have to run out in center field every day is Ben Gamble. Ben Gamble is a guy who looked decent in spring training, but really worked his swing to become a much better hitter over the extended layoff between March and June. He has his hands now a little bit further away from his body, kind of like Christian Yelich does, and he really looked like an improved hitter in summer camp. And then through the first few games of the season, Gamble's really been playing well for the Brewers, and so he actually may be getting pretty much all of the starts in center or right field. He and Garcia are pretty comparable defenders in center field. I think Gamble has a little bit more quickness, first step, first step quickness there, but Garcia may be a guy who can track down balls that are a little bit require a little bit more long distance. And so I think ultimately it'll even out. They clearly went with Gamble in right and Garcia in center. And so that may be the alignment they choose to go with for the rest of the season, primarily considering that they don't have as many options there. And so of course, we don't know exactly how the rest of the season will play out, but we do know that we will be without Lorenzo Cain in center field for the Brewers. And at DH, Ryan Braun is out. We did see Ryan Healy get the start yesterday against the lefty Carlos Rodon. And he figures like he could get many of the starts actually against left-handed pitching there. I think that the Brewers will creatively utilize this designated hitter position. I think that maybe Keston Hero will actually get more starts at DH. He is a below average defender. They have a number of infield options, whether Eric Sogard, Orlando Arcia, Brock Holt, and Mark Mathias coming up. And so they have a number of guys there, even Jed Jerko getting a start last night. Luis Urias also could be coming up from Appleton pretty soon. And so that could also provide a path. Maybe Urias plays more second base and Hiros slots in at designated hitter more. Of course, we don't know how Council will manage it, but I think that could be one of many options that he could use. He could also have Yelich take some at-bats at DH, although I do think that's a little bit less likely now that they have less depth in the outfield. They could have Logan Morrison and Justin Smoke essentially switch off between playing first base and DH. It seems like they like Smoke better defensively at first, but of course he hasn't had a great showing that that really that main error that he made in Pittsburgh, of course, being a bad error. However, that was just one play. And so I think it's important to remember that we're only a few games into the season. And so it's too early to make judgments off of, especially guys that we haven't seen over the course of a few years, like we have maybe with guys like Yelich or 
Braun, but we haven't with Smoke or Narvaez, who are both struggling, both at the plate and a little bit on the field. And so Logan Morrison could be getting some starts at DH. Jed Jerko, even if he heats up a little bit, could be there. Omar Narvaez, maybe, since he's not the best defensively behind the plate, with Manny Pena maybe getting more starts there at catcher. And so the Brewers have a number of options they could go to with the DH in light of the absence of Ryan Braun. But Ryan Braun hopefully will be back in about two weeks. And even though the Brewers were unable to play that series against St. Louis at Miller Park over the weekend, they were still able to get in four games since the last time that we had an episode of the podcast, three coming against Pittsburgh last week, and then one coming last night against the Chicago White Sox. And so the Brewers took two out of three from Pittsburgh, fell last night to the White Sox by a score of six to four. But we will take a look a little bit at those games. The most exciting one, without a doubt, was last Monday. The Brewers took that game 6-5, and the Brewers entered the ninth inning down by a score of 5-1 before coming back and tying the game at 5 with the clutch hit by Ryan Braun. Ryan Braun being his first hit of the season, but being maybe the biggest hit that the Brewers have had so far in this young season. And the Brewers with the great comeback there. They ultimately then won 6-5 in 11 innings after scoring. Eric Sogard hit a double, scoring Brock Holt. The Brewers taking advantage of the runner on second to begin each extra inning. And so the Brewers taking that game 6-5 on Monday. Very exciting game. A lot of walks in the game, however, especially by Brewers pitching. The Brewers pitchers did not have a particularly great showing. Hauser walked three, Williams, Claudio, and Hayter each one apiece. Phelps had a very strong showing, however, at the end, Yardley pitched a scoreless inning as well, Hayter with a scoreless inning, Hauser went five innings, one run, a particularly strong showing considering he allowed a solo shot to the first hitter that he faced coming back from that rain delay. I know rain delays in Pittsburgh, what's new? It seems like every time the Brewers play in Pittsburgh, there's a rain delay, but Colin Moran hit a solo shot, and that was actually the only hit that Adrian Hauser allowed in his five-inning outing. And so the Brewers ultimately taking game one of the series against the Pirates, David Phelps getting the win, Dovidas Neverauskas getting the loss for Pittsburgh, and Neverauskas actually is the first Lithuanian-born Major League Baseball player. I don't know if many of you knew that, but... Bill Schroeder, I believe, mentioned it on the broadcast, and it's something that I'd known before. But interesting to see baseball a little bit more of a global game now than really it ever has been. Just a side note, though. And so moving on to Tuesday, the Brewers fell to the Pirates 8-6. The Brewers actually only had five hits. Even though they did score six runs, they walked nine times, an exceptionally high amount there. Holland walked three for Pittsburgh, as did Miguel Del Pozo. And Chris Stratton walked two, and Nick Birdie walked one. The Brewers pitching was okay. Josh Lindblom left with an injury, ended up just being a minor day-to-day injury. I think he was experiencing some cramps in his leg there. And so Lindblom went three and two-thirds, allowed two runs. Yardley came in, got a job done for an inning. But Suter did not pitch very well. It was not helped by the defense, but still... Did not pitch very well. Knable came in, and then Bobby Wall ended up blowing the lead for the Brewers, and so they fell 8-6 against Pittsburgh in Game 2. Nick Birdie actually got his first career save on that game, and he is a member of the Pirates. And so the Brewers falling 8-6, entering the rubber match Game 3, and Woodruff dominated 6-3, 1 hit, 10 strikeouts, 1 walk. 
the hit was even an infield single that Narvaez, tough play, wasn't able to make the play. Can't fault him, certainly. Almost no catchers would make that play. But that was the only hit. It was an infield hit that was a little dribbler up the line there in early in the game. I believe it was in the first inning off. Phillip Evans was the hitter. And so Woodruff, Phelps, Williams, and Hayter combining for zero hits allowed other than that one dribbler, Woodruff pitching. One of the better games that we've seen out of him. And so the Brewers were able to take the series two out of three. The Brewers runs coming by way of six hits actually. And the RBIs two from Gamble and one from Hira. Gamble hit a two run shot. And so that was against Joe Musgrove in the third inning. The Brewers really didn't relinquish the lead since then. And there was really no, no base runners for the Brewers to be concerned about there later in the game. So the Brewers took the series two out of three against Pittsburgh in last week's series in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. And so they were coming back home opener on Friday against St. Louis when news came out that a number of Cardinals players had tested positive for COVID-19. Apparently the Cardinals players, a number of them, were at a casino the night before, possibly in Milwaukee. doesn't really matter where. I know some members of the Cardinals were denying that, but it seems like it could be likely Marlins mem team members were apparently seen at a nightclub, clearly breaking the rules that MLB had set forth on whether they can leave the hotel for certain certain instances, certain events, or places to go. But not a smart thing to do for players, especially now the Marlins and Cardinals each in a tough spot. The Cardinals likely won't actually play until Friday. The Marlins will be able to get back into action shortly, but I think that it's really a wake-up call for the rest of the league, realizing that it's not something to mess around about. There really will be consequences if you do break the rules. I think that they're tightening it up now, considering what's happened in both Miami and St. Louis. So the Brewers missing that whole series Friday through Sunday. We'll see if they do decide to try to make that up. I don't know exactly what they'll try to do, considering the Brewers only have a few more series with St. Louis. But they could try to get some doubleheaders in. They did announce that doubleheaders will be only seven innings apiece, per game and so that could help to get game, more games in kind of like minor league games or even men's leagues I know in the Milwaukee area a lot of men's leagues have seven inning double headers if they are double headers and so the major leagues have never seen that but of course this is a weird year nothing is really normal about this year and so coming off Sunday when they were supposed to play a double header against St. Louis to make up one of the games they came and played the White Sox at Miller Park so this was the actual home opener playing in the evening, and Brett Anderson made a season debut, three innings, two runs. He pitched okay, like I mentioned before, got a little bit unlucky with a number of infield singles. Corbin Burns came in and really pitched well until he allowed a two-run shot to Jose Abreu, his last batter that he faced of the game. So Burns went three and two-thirds, three hits, two runs, two walks, and five strikeouts, but his stuff really looked good. David Phelps came in and allowed a run in an inning that he pitched. Knable ended up allowing a run as well. And so the bullpen not performing very well. Yardley then finishing the job with two-thirds of scoreless innings. And the Brewers fell 8-6. And it was really a painful one to watch considering that they led 4-2 going into the seventh inning. Ultimately were unable to hold the lead. The two runs coming in the seventh and then one in the eighth and one in the ninth. A little bit disappointing to see. However, there were some positives, like Anderson looking pretty good, Burns looked pretty good as well. Yelich was able to get going a little bit, had a double off the wall in center field in the first inning, and then a single and a walk as well. 
And Gamble had another good offensive performance. Garcia with a double that left the bat at 113 miles an hour, as well as a clutch two-run single after Rick Renteria questionably intentionally walked Keston Hira to face Yelich with the bases loaded one out. Yelich struck out, but then Garcia ended up delivering the gut punch with a two-run single to put the Brewers ahead. And so that was a big play in the fifth inning there in the game. Overall, I thought the Brewers hitters looked really just okay, but definitely better than they did in the Cubs series and in the Pirates series. So I think that they are trending upward. Actually, though, the White Sox lineup was really fun to watch. I know this isn't a White Sox podcast, but we will just quickly talk about them as the Brewers are having a two and two series with the White Sox, meaning that they'll have two games at home at Miller Park and then two games on the road in Chicago. Luis Robert, their star rookie center fielder, one for three, and he looked he looked good. Two walks as well. Moncada, Abreu, Grandal being the rest of the top of that lineup. All of them performing pretty well. Nick Madrigal made just his fourth career start. And the, the White Sox really have some young guys, and they could be competitive for a really long time, especially on the offensive side of things. They really look to be one of the better offensive teams in baseball. They could be a team that sneaks into the playoffs with the expanded playoff series and really make some noise in the postseason. And so that's just something to keep in mind as you're watching the Brewers over these next couple games. The White Sox have an exciting lineup, young lineup, and they do make contact a lot and they don't strike out a ton. They did strike out yesterday a decent amount, but normally they're not a big strikeout team. And those are just some guys to watch. Robert, Moncada, Abreu, Grindal being their, really their key performers. And Eloy Jimenez really is pretty good. Nick Madrigal coming up there. Nomar Mazzara did make his White Sox debut as well. So looking forward into that White Sox series, we will see Brandon Woodruff squaring off against Lucas Giolito tomorrow. And that one will be at Miller Park as well. Of course, it doesn't matter as much now where the game takes place, considering that there are no fans in attendance, regardless of where it may be. And Woodruff will be making his third start of the year. The nice thing about the Brewers having a long layoff is that Woodruff can pitch more often. However, of course, that's not exactly what we want. That's not, we don't want more positive COVID-19 tests. Just the one positive coming out of there being Woodruff pitching more. And it should be a good pitching matchup. Giolito was the White Sox ace last year garnered some Cy Young votes, actually. And so Woodruff Giolito being the matchup there at Miller Park. And then Adrian Hauser will be pitching for the Brewers on Wednesday. Beyond that remains to be determined. But Woodruff going tomorrow, their ace and Hauser, their number two starter going on Wednesday against a pretty good White Sox lineup. Hopefully the Brewers can at least split the series at Miller Park before going off to Chicago. And after the Chicago series, the two games in Chicago, they will be coming back home to face Cincinnati for the first time this year. Cincinnati has been hitting their stride. Votto came back, Musakis is back, Nick Senzel is back. They really have an improved offense and a pretty good pitching staff to go with it. So the Brewers and Reds being two teams that are going to be fighting for playoff spots in the NL Central. We could see up to four playoff teams from the NL Central. I don't think that's very likely, but it could happen. And of course, we don't really know what the situation will be with the Cardinals. Are they going to be missing some of their key players going forward? How is it going to affect clubhouse dynamics? How will they be able to make up their games? You can't imagine that if the Cardinals play three double headers in a row that they're going to be able to really perform pretty well. And so 
we don't really know what we'll see. We've never seen something like this. Big thing to watch though is that the Cubs are already 8-2 and two, and so they're three games ahead of the second place Reds. So that's something to watch considering that they are already a sixth of their way done with their season. So we are more advanced in the season than we typically would be after 10 games. Really far more advanced. Each win counts as 2.7 if you're prorating it for a full 162 games. And so the Cubs off to a good start. Their bullpen has not looked good, but other than their bullpen, they've overall been pretty good. Their rotation has been strong. Their offense has been firing. And so the Cubs off to a good start. The Reds are really hitting their stride now. They started off a little bit weak, but they got Moustakis back. They got Senzel back. Vado came back last night. We really hit a, a clutch two-run shot off Zach Plesak late in the game. And so the Reds are looking good. Of course, Hopefully they cool down a little bit heading into their series against the Brewers this weekend or the Brewers heat up either way. Hopefully the Brewers are able to take some of those pivotal games really as every game is far more crucial now than it is in a typical season being of a shorter season and also being more games against the divisional opponents and more playoff spots to fight for. The Brewers sitting at three and four only have played seven games because of the Cardinals. I saw one fan saying that the Brewers should really have three extra wins because the Cardinals should be forfeiting the games that they had to have postponed because it's their fault with the COVID-19 tests that they had since they went to a casino. I don't know for sure that I'd say that that would be the right approach to take, but I could certainly see some sort of additional penalty, like maybe an extended quarantine for players that broke the rules. We don't know exactly how Rob Manfred will handle this. He probably won't handle it well just based on his track record, but who knows? And so the Cardinals sitting there at two and three, they actually have two wins, as do the Pirates, who have lost five more games than the Cardinals, Pirates being two and eight. Marlins are actually leading the NL East right now at two and one, just an interesting side note. And there haven't been that many games played in the NL East. Braves have played 11 games, but Marlins have only played three, Nationals have played seven, and Phillies have played four, primarily because of the Marlins getting all those positive COVID-19 tests. Another side note, actually, that I saw before the season started, but two-thirds of the Cubs games against the Brewers and Cardinals will be coming at Wrigley, and so you have to think that that might have been intentional by Major League Baseball with some large market bias. The Major League Baseball likes the Cubs making the postseason because the Cubs produce higher revenues than the Brewers. The Brewers have less fans, smaller market size, and so... It's possible that they actually had a, a role in giving the Cubs those extra home games, but as a Brewer fan, even as a Cardinal fan, which of course I'm not a Cardinals fan, but that's totally unfair, and MLB needs to stop doing that. It's one thing if they have an extra one or two home games than road games, and maybe it's a coincidence that it happens with both, but to have longer series both times at home and have an extra series at home than what they would have had on the road, I believe 7 out of 10 are at home for both the Brewers and Cardinals. So it seems like more than just a scheduling glitch there by Major League Baseball. Nice job. No wonder everybody hates the Cubs because you guys like the Cubs. Also, MLB needs to stop posting nonstop about Javier Baez. Just a random rant that I'm going on, but I really don't like Javier Baez. I think a lot of guys don't like Javier Baez, a lot of fans, but 
they post about him way too much on on MLB and even Bleacher Report. I got an alert that he made a nice tag. Like nobody cares that Javier Baez made a nice tag. Like I want to see actually good content. Like if Tyler Alexander strikes out nine guys, I should be getting more than one alert about that. I'm getting the same number of alerts for a guy tying an American League record for nine consecutive strikeouts. I get uh, one alert about that, even with all my apps, and I get one alert about Javier Baez making a nice tag. Some clear big market bias there. Not exactly sure why Javier Baez is like the chosen one by social media people. I mean, yeah, he's a fun player, and I kind of understand. He's got some flair, got some personality, but he's vastly overrated, as are many of the Cubs players. But that's a podcast topic for a different time. And so, Cubs off to a good start. Reds then in second place. Brewers, Cardinals, Pirates rounding it out. Hopefully the Brewers can get some wins against the White Sox heading into their Red series. And hopefully they can take two out of three from the Reds being an important series. Some key takeaways actually early in the season. Brandon Woodruff's fastball velocity is up a little bit. And so, it might be just some adrenaline with the the long-anticipated buildup heading into this shortened season really a, a nine-month offseason, something that we don't normally have. So it might be that, might be more against the Cubs because they were playing on national television. But who knows, Woodruff's fastball velocity was up by about a half mile an hour. Burns' fastball velocity actually is up by about a mile and a half per hour from last year. He was actually mixed between the bullpen and the rotation last year. And so it's not like it's necessarily him going from like the rotation to the bullpen like we might normally see. And while it is only one game that I'm gathering data off of, Burns' fastball velocity was still up from where it was last year. Peralta's was a little bit down. I don't think it's something to necessarily be concerned about since much of the data that was collected last year was Freddie Peralta as a member of the bullpen. He made a start this year, and so that's where this data is coming from. Ultimately, I think Freddie Peralta's better suited for a long-term relief role a guy who maybe pitches a couple innings or maybe even a late late inning reliever who can shut the door at the end of the bullpen but who really knows what what will happen i think that freddie peralta maybe will piggyback off of a guy like lynn bloom or lauer for the time being maybe lauer will end up taking that rotation spot fully and then peralta will be a full-time reliever ultimately i kind of hope that happens but we don't really know how council will will choose to manage that Hauser's fastball velocity was a little bit down. I don't really think that that's necessarily something to look into. Knable's fastball velocity has been down by about two miles an hour, and so that is something to be maybe a little bit concerned about. The main thing, though, is he is coming back from Tommy John surgery, and so it may take him a little bit to get fully built back up. And so even though he was throwing and was really coming to the end of his throwing progression and is fully healthy and back, it's not uncommon that you see like even maybe up to a year for pitchers to come back from Tommy John surgery fully. Corey Knable might be no different than that. And so his curveball still looks really good. I think that's a little bit more important actually. And his fastball spin is a little bit down, but not not so far down where where it's something to be majorly concerned about. I think Corey Knable will turn the corner and will be able to make a full recovery from his Tommy John surgery and be that dominant late inning arm that we all hope Knable can be. And those are really the main takeaways that I've had. Ben Gamble, of course, has been playing well, like I mentioned. Yelich has been struggling. I don't think that that's something to be concerned about. Kane actually finishes the year with the highest batting average of his career at 333, coming only in 21 plate appearances nonetheless. And so Kane is done for the year. But I think those are the main takeaways that I've had are the pitching. Guys who 
maybe have improved their arsenals since last season. Otherwise, I don't think you can really look into certain things like Eric Sogard's 30% walk rate, Eric Lauer's negative 0.33 fielding independent pitching, or Justin Grimm's 30.05 fielding independent pitching. These aren't really numbers that you want to look into overanalyze since Lauer's not the greatest pitcher of all time. Justin Grimm is not the worst pitcher of all time. Just basic things like sample size usually takes even maybe even more than 60 games to really even out, but it's way too early to look into certain trends like that. But fastball velocities and spin rates are things that you can usually read into with just a couple of innings under their belts in the young season so far. And some other news around the league, Mike Soroka is out for the season. He tore his Achilles, and that's pretty big news coming out of Atlanta as Cole Hamels has also been on the shelf for a little bit, and Mike Fultonevich was designated for assignment. Not exactly sure why the Braves chose to do that, but clearly they know what they were doing. He cleared waivers, and so he's still in their organization, but they are a little bit thin now with rotation depth. They have a number of arms still there. They've, they've got a lot of arms in their system and guys who will be able to step up, but I definitely think that it's a worse situation than they may have thought they would have been at this point. Shohei Otani strained a flexor tendon in his right arm, and so he will not be pitching the rest of the year. He can still DH, but it is a blow to the Angels' starting rotation and a blow to my fantasy team since Soroka and Otani were my top two pitchers, but uh, we'll get over it. I picked up Ben Gamble, so hopefully he's able to cover for the losses of Soroka and Otani. But so those are some of the main injury news around the league. Aaron Judge went on, a, I believe it was a five straight games where he homered, six home runs coming in that stretch. But I don't really need to talk about that too much since I'm, heard, I'm sure you heard all about it on ESPN, on MLB's social media pages. He's kind of like Javier Baez, maybe even worse because he's on the Yankees, but... We, we won't really need to cover Javier Baez or Aaron Judge anymore on this podcast since you hear all about them all the time. And also Matt Vazgersian's call on Aaron Judge's second home run of the night yesterday. He acted like it was like the greatest moment in baseball history. Like Judge hit a, hit a, hit a deep fly ball, clearly cleared the wall, went into the bleachers and Vazgersian was yelling like, Aaron Judge has just gone yard for the second time. And everybody's like, yeah, it was, it was a... Key pivotal home run in that game. Sixth home run in five games. Yells Santa Maria like he always does in his, his really his signature call. But it's not like Aaron Judge just hit like a walk-off home run to send them to the World Series or anything. That's what it seemed like based on his call. Of course, A-Rod was going along with it being an ex-Yankee. Also, A-Rod, why is he on the broadcast? He said Gio Urshela is without a doubt the best third baseman in the American League. Not sure if he doesn't really follow any other team but the Yankees maybe because he just does Sunday night baseball and they seem to only play the Yankees but Josh Donaldson is in the American League he's better than Urshela Matt Chapman from Oakland is better than Urshela Anthony Rendon is better than Urshela I would also take Rafael Devers over Urshela and so Gio Urshela is maybe the fifth best third baseman in the American League but a-Rod made it seem like Urshela is like one of the best players in baseball. I mean, he's a good player, but we're not talking about even a guy who's a perennial all-star or anything. And last year was really his first good year. And so A-Rod, not a great commentator. He's better than some of the other guys that they've had. And he, along with like Jessica Mendoza, really isn't great either. I believe she's not really doing Sunday Night Baseball anymore, though. And so... 
the number of those guys Vesgersians not the greatest because a lot of big market bias there of course ESPN wants to sell the big market teams because that's where the money comes from but I do think that there's it's a little bit over the top sometimes and so that's just something that's been happening around the league also I was thinking to myself um, just yesterday when I was watching baseball but I kind of wish that the, the sports would have come in staggered so they wouldn't have all really come in at once because I'm I'm primarily a baseball fan but I also watch other sports like basketball occasionally football or hockey but if if the NHL started a month ago a month and a half ago I would have willingly watched NHL games and I I almost never watch NHL games I would have been really invested in the NBA if it started a month ago I would have gotten into the NFL of course the NFL season doesn't start until later so that one's a little bit more understandable or Major League Baseball would have had the full attention of the sports world if they would have started even though they were the first to start still and they did have extremely high ratings on the Nationals Yankees game on opening day on ESPN they still would have had more fans for a longer period of time if they were able to work something out sooner. Although it seems like maybe that would not have been possible with all the positive tests. But it seems like it could have been possible with the NBA or with the NHL. I don't know if some of our fans watched the Bucks rockets game, but a little bit of a disappointing end there. Hopefully we have a lot of Bucks fans listening to this podcast. But the Bucks hopefully can really be a team that makes to the finals. I think that the season is kind of a failure if they don't make it to the finals at this point. They're maybe the best team in the league. Last year had a disappointing finish in the Eastern Conference Finals, blowing a 2-0 lead to lose in six games to the eventually champion Raptors. And so hopefully the Bucks can really be, learn to close out games. I mean, I don't think that that's something that they are totally unable to do. But in certain instances, being a, a younger team, they haven't been able to do that. Like yesterday. Yesterday is really an exhibition game. So I don't think that fans should look into it too much. Rockets fans were acting like they just won the finals or something. It was kind of funny. But of course, Giannis is one of the most exciting players to watch. And so I'll be watching the Bucks a lot throughout these next couple months, in addition to the Brewers. So just a side note, we'll probably be talking about the Bucks maybe a little bit more also on the podcast just just throw it in a little bit to keep things interesting and and I would I would think that most of our fans here are Bucks fans as many of many of the people here are are from Milwaukee or maybe have a, a special connection to Milwaukee and so it's an exciting time for for Wisconsin sports but primarily here to talk about the Brewers who are sitting at three and four. They are going to be playing the White Sox tonight and two more games then in Chicago, Cincinnati this weekend. And I'm excited to see hopefully that they're hopefully the Brewers are able to continue to play. Hopefully we don't see the season shut down towards, I don't know, maybe the end of August or something. If there are more positive tests among other teams, of course, many of us are hoping that we are able to get the full season and we want the full season to happen because we want more baseball and we're really starved for baseball. But either way, I'm really excited to be doing this podcast and thank you all for joining us again. If you are interested, go check out our blog, bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com. I'll have an article up about some of these early takeaways. I'll go in a little bit more detail than I did here on the podcast. But thank you for joining us. And at Brewers Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, be sure to follow us. Check out our content there. Hopefully their offense starts performing a little bit better. The bullpen becomes a little bit more consistent. And I think the Brewers have what it takes to be one of those, one of those top few playoff spots, maybe even 
getting one of those top three seeds, winning their division. Hopefully they can do that, but they got to take it day by day and hopefully they can even get to the end of the season. But either way, thank you for joining us and go Brewers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.